0: Welcome to Uh, Can I Kick It? This is a podcast uh, about film festivals. My name is Jesse Weber, and I'm joined by... Angie Camuga. Colin Atchley.
1: And Emilio Diaz.
0: Alright, this is our tenth episode, and we will be... Happy anniversary. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll be using that as an excuse to begin counting down our top ten movies of the 2010s. Uh, We're going to be doing our 10 through 6 today, unless we go through those real fast. Uh, And most likely we'll be doing our 5 through 1 next week. Mm
2: -hmm. That is the plan. I will say, um, up at the top here, just as an apology to our listeners, I am currently in a house where there is some uh, construction work happening, so there might be occasional hammer noises in the background, and I apologize for offending your ears if it does so.
0: It is possible that I will edit them out.
1: It certainly is possible.
3: Yep. Not much in the way of news. Um, nope.
2: <laughs> no. Movies continue to not be happening mu- very much right yep. now.
0: It looks yeah, like... I mean, so- South by Southwest will be handing out awards. They've sent screeners to their jury. Uh, that'll be sometime at the end of this week and IndieWire has been covering a number of the movies uh not I think not a lot of the most high profile ones which will be just getting pushed back like everything else but some of the smaller ones that are looking for distribution I've retweeted some of their reviews um there's a uh...
3: A few, I don't know if it was their full slate or not, but South by put out a few of their shorts that we're going to be uh, playing there uh, to watch online.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Perhaps we will talk about that next week. Also, uh, First Cow got pushed back to later yeah. in the year now. Yeah, I forgot to mention last week that I saw it uh, at a free screening at Kennedy Center in which they showed it in sub-DVD quality. However, uh, Kelly Ricker is there and she was wonderful so I'm going to not be too angry about that screening and I will see the movie again in its full glorious quality later. Um, yeah, know, uh, be... Universal is putting mm-hmm. some of their movies out online early. Some of like, uh, Invisible Man and The Hunt are going to be going up.
3: Uh, Invisible Man, which we talked a little bit about on our Berlin episode, of course. That's right. <laughs> uh-huh. Um
0: and they're also gonna put some stuff that would have been released into theaters on VOD. Uh they've not yet they they have mentioned they have announced that the focus movie uh Emma with a period will be going on. They've not said if uh Never early sometimes always, or promising young women woman will be included uh, but we certainly would talk about those movies if they were since uh, they both were hot Sundance movies, but perhaps those will be delayed or who knows
2: yes it's a it's a very uncertain time for movies in addition yeah. to many other things in the world, so uh, yeah, you know.
3: Practice social distancing. Wash your hands. Stay home if you're sick. All the things that everyone is saying. Stop
2: touching your face like I am right now as I'm recording
3: this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you're in, I uh, I I thought if you were in your house and have washed your hands since you got home, you are allowed to touch your face. Hey. Because like, if the coronavirus is in your house. You're pretty fucked. Uh,
3: I should say that anytime I'm not talking, my fingers are in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you
3: know, YOLO, right?
2: <laughs> yes. Cullen, number one thumbsucker of Canada. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Maybe we'll get eventually, uh, we'll run out of enough that uh, Cullen can do a, a 20 minute review of the Mike Mills film Thumbsucker. Yeah. Oh, there's the dog. Is that another music video? <laughs> uh, uh.
1: The finest music video director. <laughs> yeah. Listen, might- it's a very good music video. I Mike have no beef with it Top as Willis, a music video. Yeah, we might talk about a music video later today. Ooh. Yeah.
3: Ooh. I mean... All right, let's get on with it.
0: <laughs> All right, uh, we haven't decided uh, who is going to go first, but before we started recording, I was teasing my number 10 a little bit, which I actually just watched the end of. So why don't I start by handing out a couple of superlatives that will then lead in to my number 10 pick for this decade, or the previous decade. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to give, in fact, both of these are in the movie that I'm about to talk about. I'm going to give Best Final Shot, and in fact, I would say just Best Shot Overall, to uh, Melancholia, the Kirsten Dunst starring 2011 film about the end of the world. And then I'm going to give the Best Cut to credit which is a distinct award to The House That Jack Built, which is my number 10 film of the decade. A good one. No no applause. <laughs> You're what? so
2: brave for choosing this movie to be
0: number 10. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it cuts to the, uh, Hit the Road Check. Yes. Yeah, that's good that stuff. It is the, yeah, I... I watched the last 20 minutes of this movie, which are uh, a really astounding 20 minutes of the uh, titular Jack's ascent into hell along with Bruno Gans as Virgil. Uh, and of course that uh, ends with the, uh, the cut to credits, and then the song Hit the Road Jack, which is as soon, su- like that is that is one of just my favorite moments in a theater is like immediately being like Jesus, I know what this song is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that it's a it's a movie or a a, re- a specific theatrical experience that I I think about a lot because. Um, IFC films used an uh, interesting strategy for that which is that they had the unrated cut and the rated cut which that's not really the interesting part it like differs by like 15 seconds uh of uh, I think uh Bradley Co's breast being cut off uh but the the interesting thing is that they kind of weaponized that into a theatrical strategy in which they put it out the unrated cut out into theaters a couple weeks before it was released for one night only and that was the most young people I've seen in a uh, independent theater this decade. So that was really exciting to like see it with a bunch of other people even though it is a At at, at times, it's certainly a very rough movie to watch. It also, there are a lot of pleasures in it. I think the way it is shot is just absolutely wonderful. Uh, Matt Dillon's performance as the serial killer Jack is one of the most watchable performances That sounds like I'm uh, damning it with faint praise. It's it's a really phenomenal performance. It's uh, extremely dry and can be funny. And his dialogue with Bruno Gans is really excellent. There's some points. There's there's, uh, another scene that I watched a bit of in which... uh, Jack starts uh, going on about how uh, the atrocities of the world are are the greatest iconography, and, and Bruno Ganz is just like, Shut the fuck up, you fucking antichrist! He, he does actually call him an antichrist, and this is right before the sequence in which a number of scenes or little... Shots from Lars von Trier's films, including *Antichrist*, which we will be talking about in a couple of weeks, are played. Uh, But yeah, I this is a movie that's grown on me a lot. That like watching it, watching it just a couple hours ago, I was absolutely entranced. Uh, Do you want to talk about this a little, Emilio? I know you like this movie a lot too.
1: Yeah, it's a movie that's certainly grown for me a lot. What I find like incredibly compelling and fascinating about it's how it met it like it manages to have this energy of like Ain't I a stinker but also through like tears where it's like you can read the entire movie it's like getting all of these beautiful women to like work with him and do stuff with him and he's just like destroying them and making horrible things about it and it's like Jack in some ways is Von Trier and how directly Mm -hmm. he is called out like you mentioned but also Gans might be a part of like his subconscious and telling him how worthless he is and it's just like it's almost the purest manifestation of like self-hatred I've ever seen on a movie which Mm -hmm. is incredibly compelling and stuck with me and it's also as you said it's incredibly funny the Sea of Unfallen Hogan section is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in a movie it is (laughs) almost David Wayne-esque and how <laughs> much it rejects, like, it just plays with your expectations and just, like, a slow mm-hmm. burn of losing your mind. And, yeah, as you said, uh, Matt Dillon gives an incredibly funny performance that is just incredibly compelling to watch. The House of jack belt. is very good. Yeah. Any other thoughts on it?
0: Uh, I think that's, uh, I mean, I'll say perhaps something that is, uh, that sort of brings all these movies together is just the, the look of them is all super, with maybe a few exceptions, they've all just got a super specific look that I really, really vibe with, and they're not all the same look, like, I'd say my... In terms of cinematography, I'd say like my nine and eight have some some similarities. Uh, there's there, the, maybe the the theme is sort of uh, a sort of, and this is a movie that sort of exemplifies that theme. Is that there's sort of a back and forth between me for with two poles of sort of uh, this really just beautiful images shot really well just like kind of letting the images speak for themselves and then like sort of really chaotic camera work a lot of movement uh, That that's what the next two movies I'm going to talk about really feature uh, and this I think has a lot of both you know it'll sometimes just really stop on one image I think of the especially in the end there's a couple of uh still shots that are absolutely stunning. Uh, But then there's also he's doing a lot of verite work that I really vibe with. Shaky cam stuff. Yeah. I think I'm happy with what I've said about that. It's a good one.
1: Colin, how about you go next?
0: Okay. Um,
3: So, I'm gonna go with... Uh, sort of uh, maybe like emotionally the opposite movie of House That Jack Built (laughs) uh, and go with uh, 2018's Minding the Gap. Um, Mm. It's a documentary uh, directed by and featuring uh, in it uh, this guy Bing Liu. Um, It's about these three guys who all sort of bonded together in their town of Rockford, Illinois uh, over skateboarding and I think it's something like for 10 years, the guy Bing had been filming them, uh, like just skating around and then started interviewing them because uh, he's like I think the oldest of their group. It's him, this guy, Zach Mulligan, and the heart and soul of the movie, uh, Keir Johnson. Um, but the movie, it like it's all about um, sort of like Growing up with like abusive parents and uh, like a lot of like alcoholism and just feeling like stuck in your place in life and like how to get out of it. Uh, I watched it at the end of 2018, sort of just for like wrap up purposes. It was put out on uh Hulu, uh, bought distribution, I think it was at Sundance. Um, yeah. And uh, It's a documentary. I don't know if I said that already. Um, But uh, you just, it's like, it's only like 90 minutes long, but you get, it's so rich with its sort of the way it's edited. And I think it's maybe, it might be like my favorite cinematography of the uh, decade, just because the skateboarding scenes are so well filmed. And I think like it's half of that is like how great Uh, Bing Lewis as a cinematographer and how he knows how to film these guys skateboarding and also how well edited it is because it just, you know, it just is like a perfect movie to watch those scenes of alone, but then also it's got these scenes that are just heartbreaking of like characters, like there's this character Nina who is uh, the mother of the I guess it's not a character, it's a person, but she is the mother of um, (laughs) Zach's child, and they're both, like, very young parents, Um, and she is talking about how in her family, no one ever, like, hugged or touched, everyone just kept their distance, and she moved in with her uh, aunt and uncle when she was, like, in her, like, 20 or 21 And that she talks about uh, sort of not knowing what to do when they would hug her before she goes to sleep. And then she said within months she'd just grown so much to like it that she would like be expecting it at all times. And it's just you feel like I'm very lucky that I am not able to relate to like that sort of feeling. But you just it just is so heartbreaking the way they talk about like not having good relationships with her parents. And, like, uh, being his mother uh, remarried and uh, his stepdad would beat him and his uh, half-brother. And he has this sort of – not a confrontation, but he goes to interview his mother at one point, And she just talks about how you can't change the past. And she's like, if I knew what he was doing, I would change it. And then it's a lot about, like, abusive relationships and how she talks about how sweet he was to her When he wasn't beating her and that's why she didn't want to say anything. And then you find out that Zach uh, is like hitting the the girl Nina. And it's this scene where he and his friend are playing for being audio of her like threatening to kill him. And he's like, she's crazy. I don't know what to do. And then it just goes right into a scene of her talking about how right before the guy started filming, he was like... Just beating the hell out of her, and it's just brutal because up until this point, you're just you relate to, you just want nothing but the best for these people who's just all seem so nice, and then it sort of pulls the rug out from under you on this guy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I could go on for a while about this movie. Like, um, I didn't really talk about Kier, who's like the youngest of the group, um, and uh, he's sort of aside from uh, Bing Lu who's Asian um he's african american and a lot of his sort of role in the movie is he talks a lot about being friends with only white people in his like uh crew just by hanging like by way of hang out at these uh skate parks and uh he talks like there's a like really uncomfortable scene or segment where uh it's him in the foreground as like three of his friends are in the background laughing at this video that is like using Rachel slurs a lot and they're just cracking up uh, and like he's just sort of standing there awkwardly and talks about like His relationship to his dad who was abusive and then died and there's like this just utterly devastating scene where he Goes to on Father's Day. He goes to the cemetery where his dad's buried and he can't find the grave because he hasn't been there since the funeral Um, but yeah, it's like one of the When I saw it, I thought it was like great and I've this is a th- I just watched it again today and it was the third time I'd seen it, and it just is m- one of the best. I I mean it's obviously it's like one of my favorite movies of the decade, but I think it's just so great and like essential viewing for anyone.
0: Essential viewing that I have still not caught up with.
1: Anybody? Uh, I mean, I agree with Colin. I think it's I agree with him basically on no, all counts. It's a pretty wonderful movie about like cycles of abuse the way that our parents have effects on us and that has effects on how we all treat others the way that certain things can be used as outlets but can't really fix the way that the world is around you and the the isolation of small-town America is also a reason like mm-hmm. they make a very big point of p- playing of how like the economic downfall of their like Midwestern town has let bled into all of the situations they have, so it is like as much of an it is both an emotional document and a very important political document to study. Mm-hmm. Of just the way that small town America and the way that people who have been left by the margins of society have been led to n- not really deal with their emotions in the right way and f- only find community within themselves, which helps.
3: Yeah. And uh, the movie sort of opens up with the car- or the guy, Zach, talking about um, his views on sort of masculinity and, like, how, as, like, a kid, you're told, like, things are for boys and things are for girls, and you, like, it sort of gets you on his side immediately, and then all the stuff that happens in the movie like gets you on his side in the sense that he's, like, it's like, oh, these guys are, like, normal, good people who understand, like, that things shouldn't be such, like cut and dry when it comes to gender and stuff like that but then as the movie goes on you just find out that he's kind of a scumbag and then at the very end he's got this sort of breakdown that's like intercut with the scene of Kier at the uh, cemetery and Bing interviewing his mother as she's like breaking down apologizing saying she could wish she could take everything back and he's just talking about how like he uh, drinks to get away from like himself and he uh, doesn't spend time uh, spend enough time with his kid because he doesn't want his kid to grow up like him and it's just you just feel so bad <laughs> for these people and just want nothing but the best for them and like the, uh, the character or the guy Kier um, when he he gets a job at one point as a dishwasher um, and he uh, like later on in the movie he moves up to like a waiter and it's he eventually is able to like save up enough money and move away from his like house where he lives with his mother and his like older brother and he's moving to colorado because he gets sponsored by a skateboarding company and it's one of the most vindicating things like or cathartic things in any movie it just you feel for this kid so much and uh he is like him and bing get uh sort of like what they like earn as like these sort of beacons of positivity in the movie
1: Very good movie. Andy,
2: would you like to go next? I can go next, sure. Um, Yeah, that's... Yes. Uh, uh, Okay. So for my number 10, um, I was sort of waffling between a couple, and then I just decided to go with something that we haven't necessarily talked about on the podcast before, and so I am... For my number 10, I'm picking uh, Marielle Heller's Can You Ever Forgive Me? Uh, Her 2018 picture... Um, uh, starring Melissa McCarthy as uh, Lee Israel, it's based on a true story um, about uh, Lee Israel, who was a a writer who wrote like um, biographies um, of, uh, of 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 people, and she's her sort of like this, the stuff that she writes about is has gone out of style, and so she um, begins to turn towards forging. Letters from like notable literary figures of like the early twentieth century, Um, because she feels like she's able to capture their voices well, and also is like this this market is like a place where she can actually make some money. Um, It's got a tremendous supporting cast around her. She's she's incredible in the movie, and also the movie has Richard E. Grant in a terrific performance uh, as Jack, um, sort of the uh, the her, her, uh, entry to, uh, to scamming, um, who, uh, uh, helps her out and sort of teaches her sort of the ways of how to do that. Uh, you have, um, Dolly Wells as, as, a, as a mm-hmm. woman who owns, like, a runs a shop who, um, uh, deals in, uh, you know, uh, in these letters and things. And so, and also, um, Lee starts to sort of form a romantic relationship with her a little bit. Um, Jane Curtin as, uh, Lee's publisher is really a lot of fun in the movie. Um, and it's just, uh, Anna Devere Smith as her, like, ex is also, has a one-scene role that I think is really, really good. Um, and it's just sort of this, this, ca- this, the, it, the movie captures, I think, sort of a character who values her independence to such an extent that it has rendered her incredibly lonely. And the tension between, sort of, her, how much she values, like, doing things her own way and, uh, living her life the way that she wants to do that. And, like, and it's like, well, no one's going to tell me what to do. And the way that that has isolated her from so many people who would be, like, true and honest connections for her. I just think the way that the movie illustrates that is, is so beautiful and, like, really illustrates something that I think is so real. Um, and then, you know, she goes through this whole thing and then when you get to the end and she gives her, like, speech in court about, like, how she feels about this, she's been caught and everything and it it just really, like, that speech, I think, nails so much about, like, yeah, like, I'm not, like, I guess I'm sorry sort of, but not really, like, and it, it really just sort of balances that whole thing of, like, She's really pulled between these two. Like, well, I, I have this vision of myself and who I am, and like, and damn it if the rest of the world isn't, can't accept that. Like, I'll just go my own way. But then, also. When I do that, right, it leads to all these other problems for me, and and I and I'm always running out of money, and I don't really have any true like social connections with anyone. I think the way that the movie just deals with those sorts of themes is um is is so incredibly powerful, and and I really think it's a it's a very special movie about that that topic.
1: I mean, yeah, it is. I feel like I have to come in on everybody's support now, but it's uh. <laughs> It's an incredibly good movie about loneliness. Melissa McCarthy's performance is excellent. As somebody who is prickly, yet not, like, cartoonishly so, she clearly does want to be liked and accepted by some people, but she is just, as you said before, she values her independence, and that is a very interesting dynamic to see. uh, Interesting movie about a person's relationship to their own work and what that means to them, and what, just, like, their personality and the value you give yourself. Yeah, it's very good. Mario Heller, a talent. Absolutely. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah, this is probably my least favorite of her movies, but still quite excellent.
1: Should I go next? Let's hear your you number have 10, You really have to. Okay, so in terms of talking about movies that we all respond to emotionally, my number 10 pick is going to be Let the Sun Shine In by Claire Denis. With the Sunshine Inn stars Julia Benoit, she's this movie about this Parisian woman who or French I guess I don't clearly remember if it's Paris or just another region of France but I'm gonna say she's from Paris she goes it's just her navigating a series of relationships as she finds herself either destroying some some she finds herself she, there's some cheating involved in some of them she just ends up feeling depressed and leaves others de- of other them and it's just like Claire Denis is our best cinematic cinematic depictor of desire she makes a lot of these very good movies about just how it destroys the human soul and body in movies like High Life which I don't know if anybody here would have or Trouble Every Day you can see that as like she depicts them as a the, like literal destruction of the human body as like people can't bear To not have the things that they want from other people That they either collapse and destroy themselves Or destroy the things that they want And let the sunshine in Exist in a much more real way In a dramatic way Of just this woman who Just keeps trying to find the relationship And the people in her life Who will validate her Give her purpose Or will make her feel okay about who she is And no matter if the relationship is loving If it's a little tense If it's by, she dates a dude that's an asshole, towards the end she finds a a guy who's pretty nice, but none of them do it for her because just, like, her continual attempts at trying to find external ways just to find the way that she is just never really get there for her, and that's the thing that I experience daily, and that's the thing that I have never seen depicted in that way, and I found so incredibly emotionally compelling Julia Binoche gives maybe what is my best performance in any movie of the decade. She is pretty wonderful as a person who you just can't help but root for, even though she keeps, like, sabotaging herself in these ways and the way that she ruins these relationships. It has a couple of wonderful scenes. One in which she dances with another man, with another random man in a bar to Edda James of at last, which is one of the most beautiful pieces of music I think I ever recorded, and just the like the pain the struggle the desire to be accepted in this the ironic use of that song is like uh, f- thinking you finally found a person but actually there's no person you'll ever find that'll f- fill that hole for you and Jesse talked about how how Jackville had the best cut to credit let the sunshine mm. in had the has the basically the best appearance of credit towards the end mm-hmm. where she is <laughs> just talking to Character to, to to Gerard Depardieu, who plays this sort of like spiritual guy, it's so a psychiatrist of some sort, and it's like the last person she seems to be going to to. Isn't he like see- a psychic? Yeah, it it's some so, sort of spiritual thing. Yeah, it's not exactly psychiatry and as he's finally giving her advice and she seems to finally be taking advice that isn't just like go and find some other dude who can help you just like the credits start playing and just leave you with this feeling of like maybe she'll figure it out maybe she won't this is just the way you have to live your life you have to take things one at a time and it's pretty astonishing and i adore it mm-hmm. any yeah. thoughts on let the sun shine
3: in love claire denis love that movie it's like uh, one of her most low key movies, uh, like especially compared to things like, you know, like Bastards or Trouble Every Day or High Life. But yeah, uh,
0: really, really like that one. Mm-hmm.
3: And yeah, I those kind of a,
0: a breakthrough with Claire Denis that happened after I saw this film. So I don't didn't particularly respond to it. Uh, I remember liking the Benoist performance a lot uh as I kind of work through Denny more I certainly will try to revisit it at some point
3: yeah and you talk about like depicting Desire the way that she just will hone in like with her you know lens basically on hands or like the nape of someone's neck just these isolated shots of body parts as like I think of that at last scene the guy is sort of ogling Julia Binoche as she's dancing Uh really really great stuff
0: all right uh i can move on to my number nine movie uh which is josephine decker's madeline's madeline uh we talked about this a little bit when we were talking about sundance because decker's new movie shirley premiered there but this is her first movie that i saw it's her third feature i think uh this stars Helena Howard as a young woman who is. Uh, it starts with her uh, being hospitalized after some kind of mental breakdown, uh, and then is about her relationship with both her mother, played by Miranda July, and then the leader of an experimental theater troupe that she becomes involved in, who's played by Molly Parker. Uh, I think that, like, I don't know, one of the best things I can say for this movie is that, like, it makes me want to become involved in experimental theater, even (laughs) though it's not necessarily a a rousing uh, depiction of it. it. I think using that as a device is just, absolutely fascinating, and I know that, uh, Decker spent a lot of time working with uh, a troupe, I believe it was a troupe in Philadelphia called the Pig Iron, uh, I don't know if they're a a group, the Pig Iron Theater, or or whatever the the name of that is, Pig Iron something, uh, I think that is to kind of merge those two art forms and I think especially by the end like be taking full advantage and I think using the sort of uh it sort of becomes uh how do I say this it sort of becomes about what it is like it because Decker, I think, was working so closely with Helena Howard on, like, this performance, it sort of becomes about, like, about collaboration and about performance in a way that's really fascinating. Uh, it, as I said, it, like, I think it's, like, the, uh, it's, it's, it, uh, I'm really attracted to the, the visuals of it. I think this is, probably the most inventive visual film that i've seen this decade uh shot by ashley connor who what else has she worked on i know she worked on i think the same year the miseducation of cameron Post, which won the jury prize at sundance Uh, But yeah, I love this movie. I think the performance, all three of those central performances are absolutely phenomenal. I think uh, you just said that Juliette Minot should do very much in the conversation for your performance of the decade. I think think that's true about Dylan in my last pick, and it's also true about Helena Howard in this movie. Uh, She, I'm really looking forward to seeing what else she does. But yeah, I, I I love this movie a
1: lot. Yeah, yeah I think... Yeah, you go ahead, Tom.
3: I was just going to say, I'm a little bit uh, colder on it than uh, most, and you specifically, but yeah, that Helena Howard performance is pretty undeniable. Um, something to behold, really.
1: Yeah, I like how it eventually, like you said, it becomes about what it's depicting, it becomes about its performance, and it's like... How at the end it becomes about like self. How like performing is kind of a selfish act, but also it's the it's a like truly personal way of self expression, and it can be pure when it's done right. But other factors out of your control can like warp it into different things. I really like Miranda July in it. I like Molly Parker in it. I think those supporting performances are also excellent. It's a great movie.
2: Yes, and it's also a movie that does a very good job of, uh, depicting, uh, people playing theater games in large groups,
0: mm-hmm. uh-huh.
2: as someone who has done that for work,
0: <laughs> sure. good job, movie. I'll say, and um... It looks like, I-, I was just gonna say, it looks like Helena Howard is, has some stuff that may be coming out this year, uh... She's in a movie called Shoplifters of the World This in post. It's got some high-profile people in the cast. Eller Coltrane of Boyhood is actually also in it, making a... He seems like he kind of moved away from acting for a little bit, but then uh, Joe Manganiello and Thomas Lennon are also in it. And then she's on, it looks like, a TV show that I'm not sure what the network is but a tv show called the Wilds. uh it's the the little plot description here is a group of teenage girls unwittingly become the subjects of an elaborate social experiment after being sent to a remote island that oh, looks like it's an amazon thing so that could be interesting yeah i was gonna say um
3: not really uh Anything specific about the movies, but both of yours, distinctly in my mind, I just remember those movies having uh, very great trailers. The House of the Jackville trailer is great, with, uh, uses the David Bowie song, Fame, and then the uh, Madeline's Madeline trailer uses that uh, sort of like Hey Na Na song they do in the movie uh, really, really well.
1: Right. Colin, how about you, okay. number 9?
3: So, speaking of songs, uh, Emilio maybe alluded to this a little bit earlier, but I am picking fe- feature-length music video directed by Jacob Krupnik, Girl Walk All Day. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a uh, feature-length music video set to the Girl Talk album All Day, which is like a mashup record, um, that was put out for free back in like 2010, maybe 2009. Um, and then, uh, Jacob Krupnik found uh, funded this through Kickstarter and it's um Ann Marzen, uh John Doyle and uh Daisuke Omaya o- Omiya maybe, uh as the three main characters or only real uh or sorry, non real people in the movie, uh because it, the way it's filmed is just the audio from the album over the characters dancing their way through new york uh i think it it starts at a ballet class where the lead character and marzen playing the character named the girl is taking uh, this ballet class and it's in black and white and she sort of is getting uh shaken up as like this classical music's playing then they start the girl talk album everything goes to color uh, and she dances her way out uh it goes through like uh, Staten Island dances on the ferry and down through, like, all these places uh, around New York. Uh, then John Doyle plays the character named The Creep, who is this guy who's, like, uh, working in, like, a workshop, like, welding something maybe. And he sort of gets thrown back uh, and takes off all his um, sort of, like, craftsman clothes, like, smocks and stuff. And he's got this sweatsuit on with a skeleton sort of... Uh, printed on it and he just sort of creepily dances around uh, going after the girl and then um, uh, Daisuke o- Omaya plays like uh, the character the gentleman and he is uh, stretching at the beginning of the movie in this ballet class and he sort of uh, is lightly following her around and they link up a few times before the end and have like these pleasant dance exchanges but it's <laughs> the like best movie ever maybe um it's literally just dancing and this great uh score of the girl talk album uh and i it's only 77 minutes so i watched it before today uh as well and the whole time you're just like smiling ear to ear and like you'd be hard-pressed not to dance to it i think just because it's that (laughs) sort of uh uh, what's it like entrancing and uh, there's just these great segments um, of like there's a scene where she goes to uh, all these department stores uh, in New York and she buys all these clothes and like turns from this sort of like happy person to this like uptight sort of uh, like rich like rich girl vibe basically and she's walking around like... Uh, with all these, like, Tiffany bags on her arm, and she's walking past, because it was made in 2012, she's walking past, like, Occupy Wall Street, uh, Occupy Wall Street, um, what are that like, protesters, and, like, with all these bags, and it's, like, all real people, Uh, and then there's, like, scenes where, uh, they'll be on a subway station, or a subway uh train car, and, um... It's like uh, everyone in the car, like the camera will sort of turn around and everyone's dancing. And then there's like another segment where uh, the character, the girl gets arrested at a Yankees game for dancing on like the walls. And um, they like take her out of the studio, uh, out of the um, stadium. So she's sort of dejected and not dancing anymore. And then um, it's just going around the city as like these random people start dancing. And it's like you never know who's going to start dancing in this scene. And it's uh, like also electrifying, and it ends with this. Uh, everyone's dancing to this part of the song, like um, because you can watch it online, split into twelve chapters, like one for each track of the album, or all as one feature. But the last track is this. Uh, the central mashup to it is "Imagine" by John Lennon, and "One Day" by the rapper UGK. And it's this huge crowd of people uh, all dancing at night with these fireworks. And it's legitimately one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in a movie. Uh, I couldn't recommend this movie enough. I know, Jesse and Amelia, you both like it as well.
0: Yes, I, I really love this movie. I, I assume we all found out about it because of its appearance on David Ehrlich's Top 10 from... 2012. What? Yeah, 2012 uh, on fighting in the war room.
3: Yes, yep. and his videos. Yeah. Oh right.
1: Yep, it's a great movie. It's uh. Yep. Wonderful to see real people having fun in a movie.
3: Yes. Yeah. A great point. Everyone is having so much fun, and it is like restores your faith in humanity for a little bit. And uh, Ann Morrison is like giving an incredible. Essentially, silent performance like that should be considered up there with, like, you know, Pickford and Keaton. Mm
1: -hmm. Andy, you're nine.
0: Well, hold on. I wanted to wait for Cullen to finish and for us to talk about uh, Girl Walk all day, but I have a very important uh, announcement, which is that Helena Howard also is starring in a Queeby show Uh called Don't Look Deeper, directed by Catherine Hardwick. uh, Okay. Also starring Don Cheadle and Emily Mortimer, so is it not, when everyone is going all in on Quibi in a couple of months, uh, Is it not Quibi for quick bites? I
3: think it's Quibi. Quibby. Well
2: Quibi. Quibi. I, Looking forward I to mean to there's that. no good way to say it is the is the bottom line.
0: <laughs> the Quiebee. I like Queeby. I think that's a good way to say it. Yeah, I look
3: forward to when eventually they have to release First Cow on Quibi because <laughs> no movies will ever come out again.
1: Uh, Andy.
0: Yes, this is of course going to be after Quibi buys <laughs> Apple.
1: <laughs>
0: all right, yeah,
2: Andy, sorry. That's alright. I mean, I've had nothing to say for a while, so it's fine. Um, uh, okay, my number nine. Uh, so I sort of waffled on whether I would include this movie at all, but then I thought, you know what, like, this is a movie that I think I really appreciated at the time. I think it has a lot of people who don't appreciate it very much, uh, and also, um, has not sort of been coming up a lot, I think, in, in this sort of, a best of the decade reflective period, um, and I really think it is something special and something worth remembering, um, although i think i my i believe at least several people on here are not big fans of it but anyway uh my pick for number 9 uh is uh from 2016 and it's uh, Denzel Washington's Fences um his adaptation of the August Wilson play that he um he, that he stars in along with um Viola Davis um i think it is an extremely unflashy movie but in a way that is sort of like deceptive uh, in that it leads a lot of people to think like, oh, this is just like just the play filmed but I think it is more than that because I think it is a movie that is so in tune with language and the and the communication of language by the actors that you can't um, that that it's easy to sort of push that aside because like, those are things that are often great about the play, and those are things that are great about like what you see in a live theater uh, production of something. But I think that it's that thing is hard to capture on film, and I think that this movie manages to do it uh, is sort of underrated in in terms of like how um, how strong of a film it is. And like this movie, I saw I saw it in like at like the crappy multiplex in my in my town uh I saw it with like there were maybe like 10 or 15 other people there and the audience was just totally riveted the whole time uh the the like twists that emerged like had like very audible reactions from everyone there even though it was not like a hyped up crowded theater i th- i just think it's sort it's kind it's deceptively electrifying and it is as a delivery vehicle for those performances there just beyond even beyond Denzel Washington, Viola Davis, Stephen McKinley Henderson's very good in it. Joe Adeppo is very good in it. You have uh, so many great actors in this movie and just them being able to sort of tear into this dialogue that is like some of the finest dialogue that's ever been written in in the world, right? Um by uh, August Wilson for his play. Uh, and the way that it, it that it captures that and uh, honestly sort of presents that story on on screen. Uh, I think is something that 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 that, that I want to remember as as part of this decade, um, and I know uh, I believe around the time that it was making, Denzel Washington had like a plan with HBO that he was going to be able to to sort of lead to films of all of mm-hmm. other all of the other August Wilson plays. I believe that maybe has transferred to Netflix because I know Viola Davis is starring in an adaptation of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom that is fi- yes. has filmed or is filming for Netflix. Um, so I'm hopeful that that will continue just because I think. You know, I, I took a uh, I took a class on August Wilson in college and I read all his all his, uh, his century cycle uh and I think c- being able to capture those plays with like top-tier actors is just something that I I think is just like a uniform good for the world.
3: The first movie on this list that I have not seen. It's the second
0: that I have not seen.
3: It's mm-hmm. going to go right up top of the docket.
0: <laughs> uh, sure.
3: Hey, what <laughs> I owe it a watch.
1: Emilio,
2: what do you have for number nine?
1: What do I have for number nine? For number nine, I'm going to go with Sion Sono's Why Don't You Play in Hell, which is a movie from 2013 in Japan. It might be a 2014 movie in America. I'm not very sure. But it's basically a movie about these kids in Japan who are like a small filmmaking collective called the fuck bombers who set out to make these like weird, interesting genre movies in their like small hometown, while at the same time there is like gang beef around them. And it's basically it's hard to describe what I like about the movie except that it's just fun. It's like Genre maximalism to, like, the 14th degree. There's samurais fighting against gangsters, shooting each other, cutting people's arm off. Some people die and then appear fine. What's real and what's not real stops to become clear. Like, the ending set piece of, of the movie is, like, basically these this young filmmaking collectives shooting the, like, climactic gang battle between these samurai and these gangsters that they've agreed... To, they they made them all agree to be a part of So they can make it into a, like, a cool movie And it's just so funny and crazy To watch these people with arms get ripped off To watch them fly all, all, all across the, the scene To watch these kids by very matter of factly Try to make a movie while people genuinely try to murder each other But also maybe not And it's like Tarantino-esque would be a way to describe it Just, like, how the reverence it has for, like, movies. Mm -hmm. But it's also, at the same time, more meta and more pure than what Tarantino does. Just, like, trying to make this story about how kids take in violence and how they, like, manifest it back into the world. And how, the way in which movies are both glorifying of stuff that shouldn't be glorified, but also maybe should be glorified. And it's just... An absolute romp. I don't yeah. know if, it, if anyone here has watched it. Calling you
3: Planet. Yes. A little bit of it. I think it's, yeah, re- a really fun movie. And that, uh, like you said, that last sort of segment that basically is like an hour of the movie of them sort of uh, setting up like the rules with the gang of like how they're going to film them and stuff uh, is like very, very, very good. Yeah.
1: It's just hilarious. It's just. Yes. It's one does one of my favorite things that's two of my favorite things in movies, which is like question what is the reality of what's happening. And second, like take a very ridiculous thing very seriously. Which is yeah. and it just makes for an enjoyable good times. I have talked about Saiyan previously in our preview episode when I talked about his upcoming movie Prisoners of Ghostland. But uh I yeah. think he's just a very cool fun guy. Anyway, number eight, Jesse.
0: All right, number eight goes to the film that won a special inaugural Ali last week. Wow! That is Alec Ross Perry's *Her Smell*. Uh, yeah, just a, sniff, a movie sniff, everybody. that. <laughs> a movie that I saw at its world premiere. Uh, I did not know what it was going to be beyond that it was about a singer in a a punk group played by Elizabeth Moss, and that I'd seen uh, a really brief clip from it. Uh, And I was just continuously blown away by, like, what it is. uh, Alex Ross Perry has said that it kind of borrows its structure from... The Danny Boyle, Steve Jobs movie in which it is set over, in the case of Steve Jobs, three episodes in someone's life. In the case of Her Smell, five, lending it kind of a vaguely Shakespearean five-act structure. I think some of the dialogue reflects that too. I was watching a scene in which... Uh, from the second segment of the movie in which Moss and is uh, introduced to uh, Moss who's playing Becky something she's introduced to three younger musicians uh, the Acker girls played by Dylan Galula, Amber Benson and Cara Delevingne
3: Ashley Benson
0: Ashley Benson. I'm thinking of Amber Heard, of course. Uh, Ashley Benson, okay. Yeah, uh, and, and Moss's dialogue in that scene and in several other scenes is just super elevated in a way that's extremely entertaining. Again, the camera work in this is just amazing. It's done by sean price williams who's done a lot of the best camera work of a decade he worked on many of the softy brothers earlier movies he's worked on i think all of alex ross perry's movies he is uh, one of my absolute favorite cinematographers working and he's like there's kind of a different slightly different mood to the camera work of each scene Uh, some are more chaotic than others, it really settles down and is almost all still shots or maybe completely still shots in the fourth segment which is after Becky something has finally gotten sober Uh, another really uh, obviously Moss, everyone has been talking about her and how phenomenal she is as the lead, I think Agnes Dane as the uh, the bassist, I believe of something she, one of the other two band members is almost equally phenomenal is kind of the, I don't want to say the heart of the movie. That sounds really dumb, but she kind of she kind of is a slightly more stable presence. Um, I think that, yeah, I think that those two performances are really excellent there both very much in my competition for being the in their category of lead and supporting actress for the year, so next week we're going to get to a group of performances <laughs> in one of those categories. Actually, uh, yeah, there's a couple of movies that uh, kind of infringe on that uh, category, but yeah, is another movie that i love uh of course i think i've said that every time i've had to clarify that i love the movie that i'm picking is one of the 10 best of the decade but yeah yeah great movie i feel like people talk about how like hard to watch it is and that uh they don't think they could ever watch it again but i have seen it twice and imagine i will watch it many more times to the extent that I rewatch movies I think it is in some ways an absolute joy to watch just in uh how wonderful it is
3: yeah the um I think the clip that was put out pre its premiere was the one from the third act where she's sort of like comes in and is doing she's got this camera crew following her yeah. and is doing this huge monologue that I think is like sort of like memed now for this line of where she's like those people deserve a show and it is incredible it's like so Mm -hmm. so good um yeah yeah i don't know if anyone else will have a uh alex ross perry movie on their list uh there's a i might hold off because there's a chance i might slide one in there but uh (laughs) i like a lot i like a lot of his movies
0: um yeah i mean I, i i really like him he's one of the most exciting directors to have Emerged this decade. I'd also put Decker in that category. I love Listen Up, Philip too. Mm-hmm. That uh, that would you know go somewhere in my next his uh, you know top fifty at least.
3: Uh, Sean Price Williams is his like uh, frequent collaborator in cinematography. Yep. He
0: also uh, Keegan
3: Dewitt does all of his yes, scores and uh, yes,
0: and the score of this movie is phenomenal. Yes,
3: a real just like. um a living score that is just like Mm -hmm. non-stop yeah and that scene where she sings heaven it's incredible Mm -hmm. good scene yeah good performance like that movie and we
0: all saw it together Mm -hmm. yes although not sitting in wildly different seats yeah (laughs) Cullen actually got to sit on the floor unlike yep. the rest of us of the
2: in what is the most uncomfortable theater in the world <laughs>
4: yeah.
3: at least you get to look at plastic leaves while you watch movies yeah. <laughs> God. Don't
1: no shade to anyone game. no yeah
3: <laughs> shouts to the winter garden <laughs> <laughs> Here, give us press access <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> uh, <sorry. laughs>
3: Anyone else for I mean, personal I can
1: <laughs> My hair smells good. I like it. A little bit A is great. It looks good. I like the how crazy it gets sometimes. I. It's a very good movie about also what it feels like to be trapped with somebody who's very Mm. in the throes of something like that as somebody Mm -hmm. who spent a lot of their late teens around people like that it is pretty accurate yes see somebody go through a bender and everybody just uncomfortable and nobody wants to tell them how not or not how to or not to live their life and anybody who tries to just makes it more of a bummer but uh yeah it's a good movie Colin you got got an 8 over there
3: I do. Uh, this one, I feel like there's a chance it could show up on someone else's and a chance it could never show up anywhere close to someone else's. Uh, and I, of course, I'm going to go with Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird. <laughs> um, now I see what you mean. A, uh, I think it's a 2017 movie um, starring Searcher Ronan, Laurie Metcalf, Tracy Letts, uh, Beanie Feldstein, Timothy Chalamet, Lucas Hedges. Uh, Stephen McKinley Anderson, yep, keep going. Yeah. The the, 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 the so Anders, <laughs> don't stop coming. Um, who else? Who else? Uh, uh, you know Lois Smith. Of of yeah. Jake McDorman, I think, is the guy who plays the teacher. Uh, Lois Smith, right? Yeah. Um, who plays the anyways. coach? That guy's great. Oh, the coach? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a comedy. Uh, about this uh, girl who's a senior in high school at a Catholic school um, who is uh, sort of uh, always has this contentious relationship with her mother played by Laura E. Metcalf um, and uh, it's all about her just like going through senior years sort of growing and changing with like her friends and her friend groups uh, and ends with her going to college in New York where she she is from Sacramento Uh And sort of feels like stuck in her place and uh, has like lofty aspirations to be like an artist in New York. I think it's like very early 2000s is when it takes place. Seems very based on uh, Gerwig's own life. Uh, And it's great. I remember I saw it uh, very early December at an Alamo Draft house, and I was the only one in a theater. Um, I love a midday screening where i 'm the only one there um, but you, uh, just you and the waiter who had to keep it yeah the eye waiter the who has to time. come in and like bring me pineapple cider and like pizza as i 'm like cackling and then crying at the end but, uh, you know it 's great it 's uh like I was watching clips of it um, before uh, we started recording today, and it 's It still like never stops Like the scenes that I think are funny Are still so funny Uh, It's like maybe underrated as one of the Best comedies of the decade Yeah, Because it's also like just A great movie in general There's the scene where they're having their Christmas And Laurie Metcalf Gives Tracy Letts a pillow That says like golfers don't diet They live on greens And (laughs) everyone's cracking up at it It's just so damn funny (laughs) And like, yeah, uh, I was like, I just think it's cute. yeah, she's like, <laughs> it makes me laugh. Um, the uh, there's another scene like, um, the, the, the theater scene where they're all auditioning to be in the play is like, yeah, tr- truly amazing. Um, <laughs> uh, Ladybird is the only one with a costume change at the audition. Uh, it's just so, so, so good. Uh, but there's, they do their first preview or first showing of the play that they're doing, the musical they're doing. And, uh, everyone like goes to a diner and it's like eating and like having fun. It's like this group. And then, um, she, she is like started dating, uh, Lucas Hedges' character and she goes into the bathroom uh, and sees him like making out with a guy, and it just like hard cuts to her and Beanie Feldstein laying down in a car, crying, listening to uh, Dave Matthews' crash, and it is just so so funny. Um, but yeah, it's a great movie. I've watched it uh, like five times since it came out. I've never grown tired of it. I know yeah, Jesse so hates awesome.
0: it. <laughs> um, I-, I find this movie horrific. That's all I'll <laughs> say about it. But
2: uh Yeah, you'll you'll probably get a chance to shit on it more later, so
3: <laughs> But um yeah, I just uh I was thinking about like what movies would be on my list. I don't know if it's even in my top five of its year, but I think that's a particularly stacked year and I had to look back. But as I was thinking of movies, it was like one of the first ones that came to mind. I was like, There's no way I can't not talk about it. It's so so good. Um The scene where she uh like, Laurie Metcalf, uh, her performance is so good. She plays this real prickly character and then has these turns where she uh, is, like, driving around the airport. And then, like, after she drops, her, uh, drops Lady off, and, like, dr- scrambling to try and get back to say goodbye to her. Because they kind of left on not great terms. And, uh, yeah, it's just so, so good. Also, Greta Gerwig made Little Women, which is also perfect. <laughs> a lot better. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they're two yeah. great movies and i love that they both exist in the world yes. uh my number eight um is uh of course uh, a, a another uh so ladybirds a fairly me- well memed movie i'd say this is also a, a a notable memed movie uh and that is uh from 2013 uh paul greengrass's captain Phillips wow uh, yeah another
0: movie i haven't seen
2: oh yeah it's great um it so this is mostly on the back of Tom Hanks, who is one of our finest humans, and who I hope is uh, feeling better, as reports, I think, indicate that he is. You know what's a of is,
3: Vegemite right now.
2: Yes. Um, all those stories about everyone yelling at him about using too much Vegemite is, are great. Um, anyway, um, uh, he plays uh, Captain Richard Phillips, the titular role. Um. Uh. And who uh, is on, on in charge of like a? It's like a sh- a shipping vessel, a Maersk shipping vessel. Uh. And they get um taken over by pirates uh, led by uh, Barkhad Abdi as the role as the as the main um pirate who sort of takes over the ship and famously declares that he is the captain now. Um, it's an incredibly tense movie. It's like it is a real movie that like, I was not. Super expecting to like blow me away. I was like, oh, this looks like cool, like green Like I had never con- super connected with the Greengrass grass, uh, born movie or anything. I was like, oh, the shaky cam I was like out of control. Um, and then um, I saw this movie and just several times, like just the way that it communicates, the the way that like it, the way that it generates basically your empathy for everyone in this situation is so overwhelming to me, and I like. It is one of the experiences where I have just, like... By the end, I was just, like, sitting, like, silently, like, sobbing in the theater. um, Just, like, tears streaming down my face, like, gasping for breath. uh, As, uh, especially in this, like, tour de force scene where Tom Hanks uh, presents... uh, uh, After, spoiler alert, they have uh, uh, gotten rescued from the pirates. And Tom Hanks goes into shock and receives a a medical exam. Uh, It's just the best thing tom hanks has ever done in a career full of highlights and it's uh a, an incredible movie that um i just have never forgotten any any um the emotional impact of of, of that scene and that in the whole in the and the whole experience of just watching that movie
3: yeah it's hard to overrate uh that hanks performance bar down the map also
1: the god Shout out to Bart I have not
3: watched this movie either. Wow. I'll echo Andy's sentiment. It's definitely worth your time. It's a uh, one of those like I- I'm gonna say nothing that is maybe like a very cold take, but Paul Greengrass I think handles uh, those sort of fresh history like documents better than like a Peter Berg would. <laughs> yes,
1: absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sounds good. Should We're gonna check it out.
3: Emilio, you're eight.
1: My eight? For my eight, I am going to go with maybe the funnest, most pleasurable movie ever made, which is Magic Mike XXL.
4: Mm.
1: Uh, it's just a delight in every sense of the word. It's just a movie about guys being dudes. Just... <laughs> Positive male friendship The way in which being an entertainer Can be a fulfilling thing The way in which Beauty is sometimes pigeonholed But also there's a fun in that The way that It's also weirdly a movie about Just like The difficulties of building up small businesses And the way that (laughs) (laughs) The way that America tries to keep people from being more than one thing, but I just adore it. Like Channing Tatum is maybe one of my favorite, maybe like one of the mo- the most charismatic leading man alive. And I'm confused as to why he hasn't made more movies recently. Hard agree. And just in that movie, how everybody dances and has a good time. The entire cast of that movie is just having a blast. Tatum, Manganello and that. Frequently referred to, seen in the gas station dancing die mm. wanted that way is maybe the bet my favorite scene of the decade of just like bringing another person joy through like this goofiness and self. I don't know. Kevin Nash is very good. Matt Bomber is very good. <laughs> Donald Glover has a couple of scenes and is great. Amber Heard. Michael is Strahan. It. Michael Strahan is good in it. Elizabeth Bank is great. Andy McDowell is very funny in her one scene Jada Pinkett Smith is Maybe the most charismatic person alive For a couple of scenes there It's just wonderful In every sense It's definitely the movie I have maybe watched the most This decade Of just whenever I'm feeling weird Or down or there's like some weird situation I just watch Magic Mike X Because I know it's an instant pick me up
0: Mm. Yeah A great one we're still rolling with movies I haven't seen. Yeah, I haven't seen oh, this one
2: either, sadly.
3: Have you guys seen either of the Magic Mics? Nope.
1: Yeah, I, I, it's a big blind spot. I gotta get into them.
3: Both worth your time, I would say.
1: Both incredibly worth your time. I'm maybe not, Loki, not that big a fan of Magic Mike the first one, which I know is kind of a hot take considering how much I love XXL, but it's just... Magic Mike has a more conventional arc and it's more of a drama, mm-hmm. but and it just leaves sets the path for Magic Mike to just be yes. sort of drama-less, but just, these, it's a good hangout movie. I just enjoy those people bouncing off of each other and just, like, the type of people that it bounces off of each other, of, like, being in a car with, like, Channing Tatum, Donald Glover, Gabrielle Iglesias, Matt Bomber, <laughs> and it's just a fun group of vibes. Yeah. Yeah. The vibe we go for on this podcast, certainly.
3: Oh, hell yes. Just
1: guys being dudes. Just <laughs> cracking a couple of brewskis with the bros. That's what Can I Kick It is about. Our theme song this week will,
3: of course, be Genuine's Pony. <laughs>
0: Fine with me.
1: <laughs> Jesse Seven. Uh,
0: yeah. Uh, this is the movie that I've seen the most this decade, which is. Paul Thomas Anderson's Inherent Vice. This is the only Paul Thomas Anderson movie on my list, though. So when we talk about runner-ups, I will name his other two movies.
3: I'm sure week. he'll get brought up. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, this movie is a fucking blast. Yes. Uh, I love Thomas Pynchon. I love Paul Thomas Anderson. I love Joaquin Phoenix, mostly. Uh, except for in movies I haven't seen him in Uh, yeah what do I even say about this movie unfortunately as many times as I've seen it it's been a little while but yeah I think I think that Josh Brolin is the best comedic performance of the decade in this I absolutely big as uh, Bigfoot Bjornsson the cop who is terrorizing phoenix at one point eats all of his weed yes that's maybe the funniest scene in the movie uh it, there's a a whole lot of wonderful joaquin phoenix reaction shots i think yes this is maybe my favorite performance of phoenix it's my favorite performance of is this decade at least there's two lovers I really oh. love as well uh, which narrowly misses the cut off and perhaps made my list uh, yeah.
1: some would say that Inherent you know. Vice is his only good performance this decade but continue
0: what's no. <laughs> uh, not true uh huh
2: some would say it doesn't even clear that bar.
0: Andy, enough. <laughs> uh, oh my God! There's just there's so many great supporting performances in this movie. Owen Wilson uh, takes kind of the the sadder, gets some of the sadder bits of the movie. Uh, he's really wonderful.
1: Yeah, Owen Owen Wilson is uh, pretty astounding in the movie. He's great. I love his performance in that movie. I also love the person who plays his wife in it, Jenna Malone. Jenna Malone, that, yes. yes. Jenna Malone, yeah, she's That's
3: great. Neon Demon Zone. Neon
1: hmm.
0: Demon Zone. Uh, Benicio Del Toro has very a great. few scenes. Um, when he, Hong Chao. I... This is where we first saw, uh, a lot of people first saw Hong Chao, who later gave excellent performances in, um...
1: Downsizing you were about
0: to say? Nah, uh, both Downsizing and Watchmen. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: I don't want to play my uh, hand too
3: much. Uh, I purposely left Inherent Vice off my list because I knew you would talk about it. There's a chance <laughs> it could have been my number one. Um, huh. But there's a chance that either of the three Paul Thomas Anderson movies from this decade could have been my number one. In Hair Vice, I've seen it so much. I love it so much. Uh, when I first saw it, I remember like like leading up to it. I was doing this psychotic thing where, like, for the week leading up to it, like, I had already read the book, like, and I was uh, watching all of the trailers, like, promotional clips for it every single day, like, the week up until it came out, just because I wanted it in my
0: blood and my body yes, so much. I was also. This is probably the movie. One of the two movies this decade I'll say that I have anticipated the most. Uh, I will talk about the other one next week. But it, um...
2: Oh, so it's all just confirmation bias is why you like it then. <laughs>
3: uh... Uh, something that I underrated the first time <laughs> is uh, Johnny Greenwood's score. Because especially mm. like his other collaborations with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, his scores are so bombastic. And this one is more of a soundtrack movie. But yeah. the song of his on the score called Amethyst that plays in the one of the last scenes where uh, Joaquin Phoenix drops Owen Wilson off back at his house after getting him from this mental institution is one of the most beautiful pieces of music in any movie. Every time that scene plays, it makes me cry. It's so... Uh, it's like a, such a like rewarding scene, where he tells Owen Wilson he's like, uh, "You," because he's like, "I." He's like, "Thank you, you saved my life," and he's like, "No, you save your own life. Now you get to live it." It's just perfect. Perfect movie. Yeah, that's a great scene. Catherine Watterson amazing in it.
0: Yeah, how did I not mention her? Uh what a performance. Uh, Reese Witherspoon also great. Yes. Timothy Simons has a yes. few scenes. He, I will say the, the. If I remember correctly, the main scene that gets cut from the book, there's a big uh, uh, detour where Doc Sportello, the Phoenix character, goes to Las Vegas. As mm-hmm. I recall, that would have been a lot of material for Simons. And
3: who's yeah. the other FBI agent? Uh, I'm not sure of the actor's name, but he's sort of just like a square jaw white guy, too. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect movie. Yes.
0: Uh huh. Uh, yeah, and you mentioned it's a great soundtrack movie. That's yes. some great songs. Mm-hmm. Vitamin C's uh, Vitamin oh. C, the can song especially. Ah, that scene. The Yeah, that title
3: drop mm. at the bum, beginning bum, is bum, like, bum, bum, in the theater, bum, I'm like, bum, bum, <laughs> pumping my fist and bum, bum, so excited. Yeah. It ends... Oh, sorry.
1: I was gonna say, a movie that we might be speaking of soon also had that needle drop, I will say.
3: Uh-oh. Um... It ends with uh, Any Day Now by Chuck Jackson as, you know, Sportello's, like, looking into the
0: light. It's such a great movie. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Very happy we get to talk
0: about it. I knew you would have yeah. it on your list. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at the list, at the uh, cast list. Uh, Jeannie Berlin, oh. who I will talk about later, of course, plays Aunt Reet. So good. Joanna Newsom is... Uh, oh, Adelige. my God. <laughs> Who narrates the movie, which is not in the book. Loki, the MVP of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> like I think, I think that, I believe that Paul Thomas Anderson has said that that is kind of the figuring out that she should be the narrator is kind of the point at which the movie broke open for him.
3: Yeah, the scene where, um, just speaking of the soundtrack still, so the scene where they play the Neil Young song, uh, Journey to the Past, Journey from the Past. Um. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Incredible. Journey
0: to the Past is from Anastasia. It might have okay. the same name. Uh. Yeah. the The name I was looking for, uh, Agent Flatweed, is played by Sam Yeager and then Timothy Simons is Agent Borderline.
3: Yeah, I mean those pension names. You can't beat them. Yep. Puck Beaverton,
0: Smilax.
3: Yeah. Uh, who's the guy who plays the friend, Denis? Um.
0: Uh, He's Jordan a real fun person. Yeah. Martin yeah. Short, great in it. Yes. Uh, Michael Kenneth Williams, Maya Rudolph. Yeah, Maya Rudolph Eric I mean, it's a,
3: a, a, truly a stack cast where everyone is yes. great because the movie is perfect. Yep.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now, should we move on to Colin 7?
3: I will. So, another movie that uh, I was obsessed with the promotional materials and read the book it was based on uh, before it came out is 2010's uh, The Social Network directed by David Fincher. One of the best movie going experiences of my life just because that movie uh, it was another one I saw like basically alone except for like my family who was there. I saw it when I was a freshman in high school. Um It is just like it's like everything you want out of a movie I feel like Uh, it's Aaron Sorgan like doing maybe his best work as a writer Uh, Jesse Eisenberg giving this like performance that like changed not uh, like it, it influenced movies going on so much just in like what a performance he's giving Andrew Garfield like it's putting all these people sort of on the map I know Andrew Garfield was in never let me go around the same time um but uh yeah he's just so great in it Justin timberlake and like one of his first uh acting roles i think like after like southland tales and black snake moan i don't know what else he had really been in but he's incredible in this um you got like one of an early appearance from uh why can't I think of her name from Carol? Um, Rooney Mara. Rooney Mara, yes. She's also great in it. It's just like mm-hmm. this... I mean, it's. Uh, I feel like I don't need to explain what the movie is. Everyone knows it's the Facebook movie. But it is so, so good. I've seen it so many times. Uh, the trailer where they play the, like, choral cover of Creep is amazing. David Fincher, like, all three of his movies, I don't know if they'll show up on anyone else's list. Um, but his other two movies from this decade are also incredible um this is sort of like a dumping all of that praise into one pick on my list because this Mm -hmm. is like the one that started the decade and i think the one i've revisited the most but yeah i feel like it's a movie that i didn't watch before like for rewatching purposes uh but i legitimately might watch it after we're done recording just because i want (laughs) to see it again so badly um Mm -hmm. it's a yeah pretty perfect movie i think Anyone else thoughts on social network?
0: Yeah, I like the social network a lot. It's almost, like, too perfect. Like, there's... <laughs> but, That's like, it's is. so... so so perfect that there's nothing to grab onto for me. But yeah, yeah I like it a lot. I sort of I like get what you're saying.
2: Um, I, I have co- sort of come around to, like, fully love it. I, when I first saw it, I was like, yeah, I think there's, like, I don't, like, have any criticisms for it, but, like, I just don't think it'll stick with me. Uh, was my like my first viewing experience when I saw it. Um, I guess I would have been like a sophomore in college at the time, uh, and uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I mean, it's one that does certainly rewards a revisit. I think you know, just just yeah, the mm-hmm. the, the performances and the and the dialogue and everything. Mm. It really just is so solidly constructed. Oh. There's just like no. There's 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 like no there's no there's no flaws to it. It's like all and honesty. talking
3: about like uh, the score work that Greenwood did. Right. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross score yeah. is incredible and has fully changed the game. That like <sighs> hand covers bruise is like the biggest song from it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't yeah you can't beat that score. All their scores with Fincher are also very good. They also have gone on to do <laughs> work with Hong Chow in, in a way by doing the score for Watchmen. Um,
0: Yes. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, if we're going to talk about Finchery, then I guess kind of extending my metaphor, the one that I love this decade is Gone Girl, which does have all sorts of crags to grab onto. And I really love that movie. I watched the first half of it while on a plane, while getting hammered, and that was a whole (laughs) lot of fun.
3: Yeah, I mean, Uh, that and Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, I think, are both, like, pretty... Like, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo may be his shakiest movie from the decade, but I really do think it's incredible. Yeah, Daniel Craig, I think, is, like, low-key amazing in that movie, and then people maybe don't give him enough credit for his work there. Um, And yeah, Gone Girl is, like, I, I, I feel like Gone Girl has, like, not grown since it's come out, but it definitely has, like, its vocal fans on the internet, which is, like, yes, good, because it is a very deserving movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rosamund Pike, incredible. Yeah. But yeah, social network, baby. There's a scene where Justin Timberlake just goes, uh, bong hit, and it's my favorite line reading of any movie ever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> is that why you say like that I, all the time? Yeah, that's why like my ringtone is favorite him saying. I line reading in my head that I can't remember what it is I mean
3: another one uh, is uh tracy let's sing doritos and Lady Bird. <laughs> a lot of
1: good line readings out there
3: yeah maybe a, too hyperbolic andy <laughs> what's your seven
2: uh my seven you know i had to have uh this uh directing writing team represented on my list Uh, From 2011, it's uh, Jason Reitman and Diablo Cody's *Young (laughs) 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 Adults.
0: well, I haven't seen this one either.
2: It's great. Um, So *Young Adult* is the story. It stars Charlize Theron uh, in what is probably her best performance. She's so good in the movie. Um, She plays Mavis Gary, who like uh, ghost writes uh, like children's uh, or or young adult uh, like high school novels. Um, and, uh, lives in, like, it's, so the whole thing is, it's, it's very, like, Midwest. She, like, she lives in, like, the Twin Cities in Minnesota, and she, like, is from a smaller town in Minnesota, and she has to go back to, uh, like, she's gonna visit, like, her old, um, high school sweetheart who, uh, is, has recently had a baby, and she sort of gets an idea in her head that she's gonna, like, go and, like, rescue him from his life, and, like, they're gonna, like, reignite the flame and everything. Uh, and uh, it doesn't exactly work out that way when she gets there. It's um, it's really I think, it's a vi- it's a pretty acidic movie. Um, it's a movie that that is very clear about like how many of the choices that Mavis has made are like her own undoing, uh, and is 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 pretty clear-eyed about like how she operates in the world and how like and, and like sort of the toxicity that exists within her while at the same time still allowing for, like, the the view that's like, certain other characters have of her as, like... And I think it's... It, the, the thing that I really think this movie nails is, like, is it really nails the way that, like, all the peripheral characters see Mavis. And, like, there's there's characters that really admire her, there's characters that really pity her, there's characters that are, like... Wow, you are just like living an incredible life, and I'm I'm jealous of you. Uh, Colette Wolf in particular plays a character who like has a tremendous scene towards the end, where she sort of expresses that feelings of like, wow, just like you're you're really out there like doing it, um and, uh and yeah, it's it's just like a totally like unglamorous look at like this person who um is is has sort of has nothing really of value in her life and who. Um, has sort of dug her own grave in a lot of ways. and I think it's 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 full of really funny lines and, and good performances. Uh, Pat Noswalt plays uh, a, an old friend of hers in high school who um, was like bullied and uh, has like sustained like a, 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 a disability for, through through bullying in high school. Um, yeah, I think it, it's, it's a great per- movie with a lot of great performances. Um and, and just uh one of the sharpest like character examinations uh that uh that I saw uh
1: in the last decade. Yeah. Have not watched
3: I've seen it. I'm not huge on it, but um I definitely like it's it's really it's maybe my favorite of their collaborations. Though it's been a while since I've seen Juno. You know. You know,
1: you know,
0: <laughs> Emilio, oh, number no, seven. <laughs> you, okay, yeah, go ahead.
1: Um, for number seven, I am going to go with the tale of Princess Kaguya, the Ghibli movie from twen- two thousand thirteen, directed by Isao Takahata, which is a movie that is kind of a folk tale or sorry, fairy tale about. A girl who grows from a plant and is raised by these, like, young, charming, young... It's is raised by these farmers and is eventually turned into a princess by people around her wanting to marry her and trying to find her value. And it's kind of the most beautiful thing ever put on screen. It has an insane animation style where like the way that things move is crazy it's very sparse in terms of backgrounds sometimes it'll be just be completely white with a couple of trees it looks like a lot of traditional Japanese drawings it is just what everything I want in a movie which is like something detached something completely detached from what real life is just visually but emotionally you can feel it as it becomes a story about this young girl who has asked who just doesn't want to marry and doesn't want to just get turned into some rich princess trophy thing because that's how she felt like she's been treated her whole life because of her origins she's kind of been placed as this mythological figure and her relationship with her parents who want this very specific thing from From her specifically her father who was like very adamant on marrying her off because that she believed that that will be the path to their family's success and just like her struggles with just not wanting to be part of that but also knowing that that's probably the best thing for their family but also the way that the supernatural nature of her birth and then her eventual like not sort of death but her passing on will affect this society and it's just beautiful it's. Everything that I like from anime and that it's exaggerated, it's colorful, it can be uncolorful, it's, it can exist on different... It can be a completely different looking thing at any given moment, and the first time I watched it, it just blew me away completely, and I could not make a list without including it. I don't know if anybody here has watched it.
3: Yeah, this is one
0: I have no, not
1: yeah, seen. Oh yeah, I have
0: not I'm sorry. I have no. not I
1: Well... Y'all need to get into that anime. You got the
3: royal flush, Emilio. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> the
3: true pick is one that none of us have seen. <laughs> um. But it's, yeah.
2: it's a it's a Ghibli, right? Yeah, it yes. is. Ghibli. So it'll it'll be on uh, HBO Max when that launches.
1: <laughs> I think so. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hope so. Yeah. so. yeah. I mean, it's every... on Netflix
3: right now for all our international listeners.
1: Every single person should watch the movie. It's awesome. Number six for Jesse.
0: Yeah, I, as I was talking about the last movie, I uh, called an audible, so as a result, uh, I'm cutting what was going to be my number six, because we've talked about it a little before, and putting in the movie for my top five that I am most prepared to talk about, which is Leos Carax's Holy Motors, which I have... Not seen in full in a little while, but has uh, some of the best. I've seen several of the individual scenes from it, which are all pretty phenomenal. And maybe it's fitting that I started off this episode by talking about my favorite shot, and I'll be ending it by talking about my favorite scene from this decade, which is the sort of intermission in which... uh, Denis Levant, who's playing the main character, who is kind of an actor who's putting himself into different situations, he, uh, starts playing the accordion and is eventually joined by a band, uh, the song, I'm blinking on what the song is right now, it's like a, the song is called Let My Baby Ride by R.L. Burnside and Tom Roth. Uh, which I think was originally written mostly for the guitar and not the accordion. Uh, and there, there's a, eventually there's a pretty big band involved in it. Uh, but yeah, this movie is, it's kind of about. It ends up being kind of about acting and sort of what what that entails. Uh, Levant gives uh, one of the absolute best performances ever, I think. Yeah, yeah. it's a really wonderful movie. There's just like every scene in it. it, Basically, each scene is sort of him enacting a different scenario and they're all so memorable. I mean, the, the most memorable character is probably med the troll who he plays um but there's also there's a the scene with kylie minogue there's a scene in which he meets and kills or maybe is killed by a doppelganger of himself uh, um, there's the the cgi motion capture scene at the beginning yes
3: i was gonna say i watched this at the beginning of the year or sorry at the beginning of last year um and uh, my dog was with me, and he was utterly transfixed by that <laughs> uh, motion capture scene.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, like Kaguya. It's a, also a mo- It's a, what I like about movies, which is that it's not scared to exist outside of what normal reality is. And like, yes. Levant dies in some of the scenes, and then he appears again, and then there's just like, right. crazy consequences, and every scene is very different, and it's...
0: Yeah, I mean right. the movie. The movie starts with uh, Leos Carax waking up in a hotel room, which is adjacent to uh, a movie theater, and that kind of leads into the bulk of the movie. It is, yeah, it's really phenomenal. Carax is like his. We we talked about Carax because he's got his movie Annette coming hopefully still later this year. Um, yeah, he is pretty stunning. Yeah, that Levant performance uh, is definitely like,
3: yeah, uh, yeah. With thinking of like best performance of the decade at at least, he would definitely be on that list. He's uh, really, really great. Like maybe giving like the most performance, but still, an incredible yeah performance. I
0: mean, he's certainly like he's giving the most performance not in like an overacting way just no yeah he is given probably the most material to act
3: yeah he's a great uh like physical actor I think he's like mm-hmm. trained as like a clown um he's yeah very very interesting to watch yeah
0: Colin do you got him my
1: six time? Um,
3: yes. So, uh, I'm going to go with, um, Harmony Corinne's Spring Breakers. (laughs) Um, a lot of these movies I've been talking about, I've been talking about my theater experience with them. Uh, this is one that also like, I have a specific memory of seeing it as a senior in high school with a bunch of my friends and they all hated it and I loved it. And, uh. they thought it was going to be what I think a lot of people thought it was going to be as this movie that's like spring break with a bunch of like Disney actresses in these lead roles Uh, and they probably went in with like not not ulterior motives but not expecting it to be what the movie is and I remember just being like uh, carried away by the movie in a way Mm -hmm. that I was not expecting to. Uh, I hate to give praise to someone who is allegedly very awful but James Franco gives one of my favorite performances of the decade as alien who's like a riff-raff clone another awful person I've just invoked but um he's like this uh, rapper uh, who's in Florida where these uh, four college girls they rob a diner to go on spring break and they go to like um, St. Petersburg I think and they end up getting arrested at one point for partying in this hotel and uh, the character Alien who's Dooms Franco bails them out and sort of like one by one for the most part the girls who feel like they're ready for this like uh, you know real and raw spring break experience are sort of like Dwindled down in numbers to where Selena Gomez's character is like the purest of the uh, of the group, and she leaves just because she feels uncomfortable hanging around this deranged rapper with all these guns. And then um, Rachel Corin uh, eventually gets shot by a rival of uh, James Franco's character, played by Gucci Mane. Um, and then uh, Ashley Benson and uh, Vanessa Hudgens are sort of, like, the main um, instigators, I guess. Like, it's their idea to rob the store, at the be- or rob the diner at the beginning, and they're sort of the most game, and even, like, at points are, you don't know, like, like they sort of take control over Franco. Um, mm-hmm. uh, shot by Benoit DeBee, who also shot the beach bum for Harmony Corrine. Uh and its score is all Gucci Mane and Skrillex, like, very indicative of, like, this certain um, group of people, like, these spring break idiots that it's, like, making, not making fun of, but, like, shining, like, a very negative light on of, like, mm-hmm. these abhorrent people, uh, but... Um, there's a scene in the movie. I don't want to just keep pinpointing scenes, but it's something I think about all the time, where uh, James Franco is playing the Britney Spears song every day on a piano, as mm-hmm. three of the girls are dancing around to him and pink balaclavas, uh, holding shotguns, and they have sweatpants that say DTF on the ass, and it's like uh, the perfect distillation of what that movie is, uh, as he's like singing this like somber cover of every day and they're all like harmonizing with him and uh, it's one of my favorite things of the decade I would be lying to myself if I left it off my list Mm -hmm.
0: I quite like this movie as well Uh, yeah I wrote a a paper about it in my uh, brief one of my forays into college Uh, talked a lot about phallic imagery brought up um, the uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne and made myself feel real smart. There's a point where James Franco was
3: showing off all his shit and uh, as he calls it, and he shows off these guns and uh, and they eventually make him deep throat the silencer on this pistol. It's a mm-hmm. crazy scene. Um, but yeah, he's... Uh, uh, for a terrible person, he's very funny in this movie. Yep. I'm sorry for bringing him up.
2: And that makes everything he did okay
3: yeah that's what i'm saying You're exactly right <laughs> no
2: no how one much, is condoning everything how I, much I'm money would
0: we have to pay you to watch this movie andy oh, oh i can only imagine how much you would hate this movie oh boy <laughs> it's everything I mean, that it, it is much more what you think beach bum, the beach is. bum is yeah sure.
3: like the worst parts of the beach bum are like well the, i mean except the thing parts. is it
2: sounds like this has like a clear idea on how bad the characters are whereas the beach bum is too in love with its characters who are all terrible people
0: uh, no, I think if back you if you think that the beach bum is in love with its characters, you're going to think that this is as well. Mm.
2: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, so I'll I'll put it this way: if 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 our listeners want to take up a collection
4: <laughs> to pay me to watch
2: Spring Breakers, <laughs> I will certainly consider serious offers.
1: Yeah. With with all, with all the goings on around the world, that is certainly yeah. the most important cause to donate to. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> an- yes, Andy's bank account.
3: Andy, <laughs> go fund me to watch a ninety-minute movie.
2: Listen, if if the if our audience demands it, who am I
0: to turn them away? Mm-hmm. I actually did What's your have yeah. <laughs> I had an idea at one point that would require watching Spring Breakers. Probably.
3: Oh, I thought you could say that would require people to pay us. <laughs> 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 uh, I'm listening.
2: <laughs>
3: oh yeah, what's your six, Andy? Uh,
2: my six. Uh, I mean, it's not an exciting six, but it's a six that I'm very happy with. Uh, it from 2018. It's uh, Alfonso Cuaron's Roma, um, which uh was sort of the Netflix's big Oscar play that year. Um, I was lucky enough to be able to see it. And Toronto, uh, in Toronto, in twenty eighteen, uh, in the full uh, theatrical experience with all the the, the very uh, storied sound mixing that everyone was all a buzz about in that movie, which was indeed uh, incredibly immersive and incredibly effective. Um, it's you know it's I think it's a, it's a beautiful movie, and it's a movie that like I think makes. That, uh, that, that, uh, as an audience member, you have to work, th- uh, th- for it, I think, in a very interesting and, and good way. Um, I, it's, it's the story of, uh, Cleo, played by Yelitsa Aparicio, um, who is, uh, sort of the, the nanny and, 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 maid for this family, uh, who, the family is inspired by Quaron's actual family growing up, um, and, uh, she eventually, uh, becomes pregnant, and, uh, goes through, um, this, uh, you know, the story follows her through that, um, and, and also just her relationship with this family and sort of how she is and isn't part of the family is, like, very pointed throughout the whole movie. The ways in which they include her and support her, but also view her as, as separate and distinct from them is, um, it is so, I th- I think it's, it's really well done in that movie. And it's, it's, it's just something that I think when combined with like the high level of like craft that you come to expect from an Alfonso Cuaron movie where he's really going all out on like the cinematography and the, and the sound design and everything. I think it's, um, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just, it's, it's an overwhelming movie in many ways. You know, it's one where, when again, another one where I, when I saw it, I just sort of like had to sit with it for a, a while and just like sort of let it sink into me. Uh, one where, like, once when the credits come up, um, you're you're like, oh wow, like that was that was quite a f- journey. Um, and I yeah, I just I just really love this movie. I think it's it's um, it's really it's really something uh that is special and um and 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 just a a, a great sort of uh, example of like the potential of the 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 way that you can use big spectacle in a movie to tell like a incredibly small story that is none the and, and give it like the level of import that it deserves.
3: Yeah. I um I like that movie. I definitely think uh seeing it in theater helped my enjoyment of
0: it a lot. Uh a weirdly uh hated movie on the internet I'll say that I've seen this movie but I may as well not have because I don't remember a damn thing about it Uh, and part of that is because of seeing it uh, towards the end of Toronto and part of it is just due to not have it didn't make any kind of impression on me
3: yeah I saw this uh, on my last day of Toronto that year Literally, like, two hours before I got on a plane uh, and f- then fell asleep watching Solo. <laughs> so, Roma better than Solo.
1: I I think Roma's astounding. I think it's wonderful. I think Andy went into depth about what's good about it. I think mm. it's, yeah. It's, it, it's, like, very much trying to, just, like, the, just the attempt at trying to tell this, like, Small story in such a big, sweeping way. There are some images in it that are just, like, beautiful and wonderful. I really enjoy the performances in it. I enjoy... I don't know. It's kind of just the most movie movie that has ever movied. And I really appreciate the specificity of its depiction of just, like, 1970s Mexican life. It's sort of Uh upper-middle class. Versus working class, and it's mm-hmm. just, I enjoy it a lot. Quaron is a guy who means a lot to me, and I enjoyed that film quite a bit, even though I like a couple of its other films more. Yeah. I am a sucker for black and white. Yeah. And it's a very pretty, it yeah, looks wine.
3: Yeah, I was to say, it looks great. That sound is incredible. I think yeah. uh, they showed it at Toronto in Dolby Atmos, to where, especially scenes like the beach scene, you really feel immersed. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: and just like the opening shot alone, I the way the the credits mm-hmm. come in, I just like so love and like the way that the 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 static surface becomes the reflective surface. I think is just like so key to that movie, and I I I don't, I don't know. There's just there's just so many like things to be like pick up on in in it that mm-hmm. like it's really like it rewards it rewards you sitting with it so much.
0: I think my ears are broken cuz everyone was talking about how incredible the audio in this and I was just like what? It just sounded you know. like a movie. <laughs> yeah.
1: You weren't picking it up. Yeah. Some good use of sound. That one.
3: Amelia, what's your six?
1: So, what do I cap it off with? Cuz I have a You know what? Let's go with this. My number 6 is Kylie Blues the film by oh. Began which is this movie about this like doctor in a rural province of China trying to find his nephew which sounds a lot simpler than what the movie is the movie is very dreamlike it is a lot of some of the most beautiful shots you've seen in a movie this incredible like formal mastery that Began has of the camera that every shot in it is one of the f- most inventive and fun and pretty looking shots you've ever seen in a movie it contributes to like this dreamlike state that the movie puts you in and I think the lead performance in it by Sheng Yong Zhang I think is how you pronounce his name I'm by no means an expert in Mandarin but let's go with that he is pretty good and centers the movie that could just like go off its axis and be just like a technical show piece, but instead makes it he is a good reflecting board for everything that the camera is doing and is trying to communicate about like the ways that he sees himself as a younger person the way that he is curious about the world around him how his nephew relates to it the things that he's looking for in it his loneliness the second half of the movie is this like one long shot long take where that begins with him riding a motorcycle to just like trip through a village of him getting like a haircut riding across a pond that that is could be like construed as like jerk offy and tryhardy, but it kind of contributes to this feeling of just being lost somewhere and not really knowing what you're doing or what you're supposed to be doing that I think is really beautiful. I've just never been impressed and kinda of blown away by such a small movie. It's like I believe it's budget is like microscopic. It's like I don't know what the equivalent it's like less than a hundred thousand dollars to do to make one of the most beautiful movies ever made, which is like astounding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, more people got into Be Gone Later through Long Day's Journey into Night, which had had like similar formal I have not watched it yet even though I really want to but Kylie Blues to me is just like a wonderful film that blew me away and it's like another one again where it's like it's not it's not scared to be a movie and be and have these like crazy shots in it and have and be like beautiful and be like a work of art or like an installation piece or just like a painting more than it is like this piece of narrative fiction I just adore it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, this was the last cut from my list until I made another cut 20 minutes ago. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh I I love this movie so much. Uh I believe I watched it on the recommendation of Eric Allen Hatch. Uh who is a he runs Beyond Video in Baltimore, uh, the newish video store, uh, and does he writes the Infinite Fest column at Movie, about film festivals. Uh, but yeah, I this, this movie it really is just uh, astonishing, and I think for some reason this one I immediately got into, and Long Day's Journey Into Night has kind of taken a lot longer for me to take to, uh, but I like both of those movies a lot. Long Day's Journey Into Night, I think, is on the Criterion channel right now. This might be, too. It's streaming somewhere. It's on Canopy, at the very least, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Kylie Blues. Long Day's Journey Into Night does have the element that, uh, that the it's single scene, uh, single take shot, single, it's single shot scene is in, uh, 3D, but I think you can watch it without that, I don't think that's the most impressive part of the movie, necessarily the 3D aspect specifically, I don't know that that adds a ton to it, uh, but yeah, another one, maybe the most exciting new filmmaker to come out of this decade. Really glad that we got to talk about him.
3: This is one I haven't seen, but I feel like, uh, as almost as long as I've known you guys, you've been recommending it to me as like, (laughs) I think specifically as like, uh, uh, the visuals you guys have talked about a lot of like what, uh, based on things I think I've said that you're like, you gotta see it, and I just haven't, but yeah, this would be the I, I need. Yeah,
0: I will say I now maybe I, I somewhat regret not including Long Day's Journey into Night on my list of movies that I made you guys watch for last year. I think I didn't because I know that Andy doesn't like it very much, and I don't want to have that argument.
2: <laughs>
0: but yeah, we can move on. Uh, I'm always walking around
3: on eggshells around Andy, <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know me.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean this. That's the end of it for this week. Right yeah, uh-huh.
3: yeah,
2: that's
1: our. That those
2: are our, our our bottom halves. And mm-hmm. if you think those were great, wait till you see our top Ooh. halves.
0: Who? Whoa, Nelly. Me?
3: We got a corker coming up.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Cullen is corking. Uh, hey. As <laughs> a
3: promise to you. I don't like that uh, usage of the
0: <laughs> word <laughs> he's yeah Cullen's why not putting the cork in the bottle and next yeah. week it is popping off <laughs> yeah.
2: the, that carbonation is just gonna build up and build until the cork flies <laughs> off let's
3: uh, let's end this <laughs> oh I should say I talked about social network I did not talk about Army Hammer he's great in it uh, mm-hmm. he might come up later in a different movie
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, let's just say Jesse, you want to start ending it? Uh, yeah,
3: yeah
2: we, and uh, Cullen does have a plug. I remember, so let's not. Make oh well, sure we don't uh, miss Also, Colin's our
3: plug. predictions last week—you uh, all said Kane would be canceled. It hasn't been canceled yet, <laughs> so I'm still maybe correct.
2: Um, I think I did specify maybe not by next week, but all right. Yes, I believe. Well. Will leave. Um,
3: <laughs> They they still have said that um, I believe they're having their press conference that was scheduled for like April. It says I don't even something. think
0: they can do a press conference at this point. Well, we'll see. It's going to be <laughs> they'll do uh, Instagram those live thing in. Yeah, but uh, uh, Jesse, yeah. what do you get to plug? Yes. You can follow me at jp Glickweber, jp g l i c k w e b b e r on Twitter or letterbox. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Can I Kick It? And why don't you tell us about our new letterbox, Helen? Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> We kind of dropped the ball on
3: the name. <laughs> we? Uh, Who is we? For some reason, I was under the impression, I guess I thought there was like a time limit and I had to get it in quick. Uh, so we are on Letterbox now at uh, Can I Kick It OD.
0: <laughs> uh, there the was, uh, OD, of course, being the second two letters of Pod. Pod, so yes. Could not uh, fit that last uh, letter
3: in. <laughs> No, yeah, so I tried uh, Can I Kick It? Someone else had it Maybe, <laughs> speaks speaks uh, Like uh, Poorly of our future If someone comes after us um, And then uh, Can I Kick It? Pod couldn't fit So I Turned to Jesse, I was like, should I do PD? Or, and he said How about OD? And I was like You're the boss <laughs> And uh, <laughs> Put it in there. So yes, you follow us. My on... joke is a genuine suggestion. Um, you can't read context over visual text. Um...
2: And now, in order to change it, we have to pay Letterboxd money. Apparently, <laughs> so...
3: yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, follow us. Like, Can I kick it odd um, on Letterboxd? <laughs> uh, follow me at Clatchley on Twitter and also Letterboxd. And my specific plug will be a tweet of mine where I just tweeted out. Palm to eat fake. So, Andy, what have you got? <laughs> can't believe
2: you're plugging that mediocre tweet. All right. Um, my name oh. is Andy Grubuga. You can follow me on Twitter and uh, Letterboxd and such at A-N-D-Y-T-G-E-R-M, Andy T. Germ. Uh, and yeah, I look forward to uh, you telling me that I guess I, maybe you'll, you'll probably tell me that I'm wrong about Inherent advice this week because everyone else thinks so.
1: Emilio? Oh, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at EmilioNDS, E-M-I-L-I-O-A-N-D-D-I-A-Z. Follow me on there. Do what you got, too. You know how it is. Boy, do
3: I. You want to plug my palm to eat fake tweet?
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> Colin's palm to eat fake tweet is excellent. You should all like it. Thank you. Retweet it. Have you even liked it, Emilio? I uh, I assume I have, because it's the greatest tweet ever in. Send there we go.
3: <laughs> this is what we all need. <laughs> yes, yeah, Still, still
2: sitting the, for me at one like.
0: Okay, <laughs> listen, uh, do your thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, on our Twitter, we put out a call for guests. If you, for some reason, are listening to the podcast, but not following our Twitter and would like to talk about movies, uh, let us know. Yeah, we and have some big plans.
2: If, you want, if yeah. you want to watch a whole bunch of movies to be able to do a, a jury with us like we did last week, that's a possibility. Or if you yep. want to you know, share a list, also a possibility.
0: Yep. Or we've got some spaces in April. We've got a whole lot of spaces in May once we finish <laughs> up with can 2009. And still nothing will be happening. So yeah, with that, I think we can release our audience. Bye-bye. Bye
4: bye. Bye. Bye.